And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresto. We continue our look back at the year 2022. And joining us right now to look at 2022 in the field of bioethics, we've got Wesley J. Smith. He's chair and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism, a consultant to the Patients' Rights Council, and also host of the Humanize podcast. He's the author of 13 books, including Culture of Death, The Age of Do Harm, a Medicine, and you can follow him on Twitter at the Wesley J. Smith, and also watches articles there at National Review and First Things and other places. Wes, good to have you here again. Thanks. Happy New Year, Al. Good to talk ha- to you again. Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a positive development to begin with, and that is the way that the U.K. seems to be walking back uh, gen- so-called gender-affirming care. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, and it's not just the UK. Um, just to, to set up the table here, um, the United States, particularly the Biden administration and, and uh, places like the New England Journal of Medicine, the American Association of Pediatrics, they have basically said that the only approach when some uh, when a child, uh, we're talking about children here, uh, seems to have gender dysphoria is what's called gender-affirming care. That means you immediately socially affirm, oh, yes, you are a girl, uh, you know, if, if it's a, a boy saying that. And it can go very quickly into uh, what is called medical affirmation, such as puberty blocking, uh, cross-hormone injections, and so forth, and even surgical interventions. Um, minor children, minor girls getting mastectomies. There was a report in um, in out of Vanderbilt that said that and this was from 2019, 500 children received mastectomies, and, and that's got to be at least 1,000 now. And the median age was 16, meaning half of them were under age 16, and the lowest was age 12. Just, and on occasion, some they, they, children will get radical facial reconstruction surgeries to masculinize or feminize their faces, oh my. and even genital surgery. Uh, that, that doesn't happen as often, but it does happen, which will end up sterilizing the child and making them sexually dysfunctional. So there's this big push for this as the only approach, the settled approach. Science is settled. It's all done. How? Except Sweden, France, United Kingdom, Finland. These are not Bible Belt countries. <laughs> they are hitting the brakes, and they're hitting the brakes hard. Uh, Finland has just said that no. And, and except in the very rare instance of research to things like mastectomies, puberty blocking, England shut down its biggest um, gender clinic. And now there's a huge lawsuit brewing. Finland has said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to push back. And that the proper approach is extended psychological intervention, which, which seems right to me. Wow. So the good news is that in Western Europe, they are hitting the brakes. The bad news is that in 2023, the Biden administration and the powers that be here, the medical establishment, are hitting the pedal to the metal. You know, I, I'm i not a technician. I don't know these fields. But I, when, when I hear that hundreds of teenagers are getting mastectomies, yep. I'm, I say to myself, these these they're hardly out of puberty for heaven's sakes they they haven't had a chance uh they're in puberty yeah yeah <laughs> i i don't understand i mean i really don't understand how responsible adults would engage in this kind of 
uh, radical You know, the excuse for this, behavior. this is all based on ideology, in my opinion, Al. I mean, it's a really ideological moral panic. But the excuse is, well, these children can be suicidal, which is true. And the best way to prevent suicide is to do this gender-affirming care. But the, the studies that that actually helps are very weak. Yeah. And in fact, the uh, United Kingdom basically said that, you know, the studies supporting puberty blocking, where you prevent secondary sex characteristics from developing, which can cause bone problems, brain problems, and so forth, that the benefit of that uh, really has not been demonstrated, and the dangers have. And that was one of the reasons that they said that. The UK also said that a lot of times these inclinations or or, uh, disturbances are what the term was transitory. And you're beginning to see now a, a big detransition movement where that is pe- people who were a, and as young thought they were the other sex. They Sometimes they've even gone through some of these procedures we discussed, suddenly realized, oh, my gosh, I wa- am the sex I was born. Yeah. And they want to detransition. But if you've surgically altered them, sometimes that's irremediable. And it's really, uh, I think... Honestly, Al, I think this is going to stop when the trial lawyers figure out that there's a lot of money in Numnar Hills yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, sue the heck out of some of these uh, clinics that have been doing this, particularly those that have done so in a rushed way, which there's anecdotal evidence that, you know, we get right into the medical and the body changing stuff pretty quickly in some cases. Let's switch over to the, the field of euthanasia. I uh, yeah. saw a story that... Uh, a doctor signed off on a patient who was requesting euthanasia, and one of the major reasons is that he was afraid of being poverty-stricken and homeless. Is that a yes. real story? <laughs> yeah, we've seen this, and this is Canada. Canada has jumped off the euthanasia cliff into the abyss with a smile on its face. It started uh, in 2015, the Supreme Court, of Canada said that euthanasia be, has become a constitutional right, you know, conjured it out of the thin air. The parliament had a way to kind of block that, but instead legalized euthanasia throughout the country if somebody had what was called a, uh, death was reasonably foreseeable, which is a very vague standard. But even the death is reasonably foreseeable to qualify for euthanasia was deemed too strict by the advocates there. And now in Canada, you can be euthanized for being terminally ill, chronically ill, disabled, elderly, and even lonely, um, you know, uh, frail. Uh, Next year, they were supposed to start euthanizing people with mental illnesses, such as occurs in Belgium and the Netherlands. They put that on hold for temporarily because there's been an outcry, but I think it'll eventually go into effect. And then you've seen these stories of uh, people, uh, veterans, for example, who've been to Afghanistan or uh, with PTSD, and the social workers saying, "Well, you know, maybe you should get what's called MAID, Medical Assistance in Dying, M-A-I-D. Uh, maybe you should get made." And so there've been at least five cases of that where where the social workers and psychologists are actually suggesting this. There was one case, Al, of an elderly woman, and this one just broke my heart. Um, She had been through the first COVID isolation. She lived in a nursing home, and so she was obviously frail and had issues. And then they were going to have a second COVID lockdown, and she said, I can't go through that isolation again. I want to be killed. 
So the authorities allowed her to be killed, but guess what? Mm. They wouldn't allow her family in to be with her if she'd stayed alive, but they allowed the family to be with her when she was killed. How's that for a bitter irony? What? That's that's just wicked. And Catholic doctors since in Ontario face the prospect if they don't euthanize, which for them would be a cardinal sin, right? That if they don't euthanize legally qualified people or find a doctor they know who will, they could face medical discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Canada has really uh, loosened uh, all the uh, restraints on euthanasia. Almost every single one. And, and that's, by the way, it isn't just Canada. We're loosening them here in the United States just in slower motion. Uh, for example, uh, Oregon has done away with residency requirements, meaning they can become a suicide tourist destination. Uh, Vermont and Washington State, and I believe Oregon also allow assisted suicide by Zoom or, or teleconference. So, so the idea that strict guidelines protect against abuse was never true. It's less true today and will be even more ridiculous uh, concept tomorrow. Uh, you know, when arguments are made on behalf of legalizing assisted suicide, uh, those of us who oppose assisted suicide point out that you legalize assisted suicide, you're creating a social environment which inevitably will lead to increased suicide. Exactly. Uh, and this is this is bearing itself out. Uh, does this ever? I guess what I'm asking is, once. Legalization uh, is permitted. Who is responsible to go back and look at the unintended negative consequences of the law? Well, you know, that's an interesting point. And there, I, one of the things that I've always been arguing is that when you promote assisted suicide, in a sense, you're promoting suicide. Not in a sense. You are. You're yeah. promoting suicide. Yeah. Just not suicide for everybody, but some suicides. And you're normalizing suicide as an answer to problems. And it has always struck me that that means there are going to be people who may not be legally qualified, but will get the message very clearly, and they're in despair, realize that suicide is the answer to my problem, and I always thought that would increase suicide. Since assisted suicide has started being legalized, you've seen increases in suicide, but you didn't see many studies that um, said that that the assisted suicide legalization and advocacy had much to do with it. Now a few studies are being uh, actually performed, and we are finding, of course, it's not a the only cause of the suicide crisis we have in this country, but they are showing a connection with the legalization of assisted suicide and the increase in suicides. Well, of course, when you allow assisted suicide, it's a suicide, even if state laws try to pretend it isn't. Right, right. But they're also saying there's an increase in many cases in non-assisted suicides, meaning the typical suicide of somebody jumping off a bridge or shooting themselves, that kind of thing. Mm. So it is a re very real problem. And we are becoming a pro-suicide society. People are not pro-youth suicides or veteran suicides. But when you tell a cancer patient, you know, maybe suicide is the answer for you and, and we will support that, you're basically telling that cancer patient, give up hope and that your life isn't worth living. It's a form right. of abandonment, even though yes. a lot of people uh, support it as a means of supposed compassion. Yeah. Let me switch gears here and go over to uh, a study that you've written about. Israeli researchers appear to have created what they're calling synthetic mouse embryos using embryonic stem cells uh, without fertilization and developed them about halfway through a normal mouse period of gestation. Yeah. Tell us the significance. 
Well, it depends on what those things are, which are, are not yet clear. But the uh, the scientists are saying, well, this could be a way for us to obtain, let's say, organs uh, in human beings, where you could use this uh, kind of a formula where you're taking stem cells and somehow turning them into what they're calling embryo-like structures, and then grow them, you know, gestate them as you, as it were, until the point where you could take tissues and organs. Well, here's the problem with that. We don't know whether those things that would be created in that way would be human beings or not. Mm. If they develop normally, like any normal embryo, it strikes me that the burden of proof will be on the researchers to show that they're not human, human. beings. Yeah. yeah, and there's a real ethical issue there. Wes, thanks so much. Great talking with you again. And, Thank uh, you, Al. We'll continue to urge people to follow you there at the Wesley J. Smith. I'm Al Cresta.